Well, uh, for the Holy Week, uh, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter, uh, we're going to get out of the book of Matthew, and we're going to uh, look at the Psalms of Holy Week. And so this morning, we just sung Psalm 118. It's been the theme throughout the service so far. It's the text for our sermon uh, this morning, which is found on page number 605 of the Pew Bibles. And then on Friday, we'll look at Psalm 22, uh, which is the psalm that has the famous line, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then on Easter Sunday, we'll look at Psalm 16, which talks of uh, how God did not let his Holy One see corruption. And so we'll look at the resurrection that day. So again, today is Psalm 118, that is six, page 605 in the Pew Bibles, and uh, we will be reading the entire psalm. I know it's hard because the bookmarks are all in Matthew, and so you had to actually find the passage this morning. Again, Psalm 118, hear the word of the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely. But he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. 
You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning, and the praise and thanksgiving that this this psalm causes our hearts to speak aloud as we read it. I pray, Father, that you would grant us understanding. I pray that you would grant us the grace to be able to praise you with these words, regardless of the circumstances of our life, knowing that your steadfast love endures to your people forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, We live in a world where every single one of us is in one of three possible categories. Either we will suffer, uh, or we are suffering, or we've been delivered from our suffering, uh, which actually only places us back in the first category again. There are many wonderful things in this life that we take joy in, but the reality that we all know is that we live in a fallen world We are sinners. We live among sinners. At any time, another sinner could choose to use their free will to put on display how horrible it is when sinners rebel against God, which is, as all of us know, what happened in Tennessee this past week. A a sinner used their free will to display the horror of sin and rebellion. We all have bodies that will betray us. Uh, They could betray us at any time, at any age. And unless Jesus returns, we will all eventually die and enter into the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. And so suffering is coming for all of us, or we're suffering now. (laughs) The truth is, All of us are suffering to some degree or another. We have relationships that that maybe aren't perfect or or even worse than we would have ever hoped they could be with friends and family. Our sin wears on us every single day. Uh, Sickness and sorrow sometimes is like a stain in our carpet, right? We, We scrub it so it'll go away, but it always just seems to come back up. But... In spite of all of this, we also all know the joy of being delivered from suffering. The joy when we find out that the cancer is all gone. How wonderful it is when the job search is over, or your son returns home, or the peace treaty is signed. There are times in life so full of joy and celebration, and when that happens, I don't know about you, but I would like to take that moment and bottle it and live in it forever. And that's what Psalm 118 does for us. It gives us what we need to live in the reality of our salvation. This psalm speaks to suffering sinners living in a fallen world, and it speaks to us in a moment of deliverance. It speaks to us in the midst of someone's great joy. And at the very same time, it tells us everything we must believe before our world falls apart. 
And then it points us to a time and to a person who will one day fully and finally deliver us from all of our sin and sorrow. And if we believe all Psalm 118 teaches us, then it really is possible to consider it joy, no matter what trials we face in this life. And so this morning, we're going to look at the way of deliverance, and then the worship it produces, and finally the one who will save us. But first, the way of deliverance. Uh, So Psalm 118 is a psalm used by Israel to remember how God had saved them in the past, to remind them how God is saving them now, and to give them hope that God will save them again in the future. This psalm is the last psalm in a group of psalms called the Hillel Psalms, uh, which are Psalm 113 through 118. And these were psalms uh, that were sung by God's people during Passover. And they were meant to remind them of all that God had done to save them out of Egypt in the past, how he spared them through faith and the blood of the lamb that they had put on their doorposts, and how he brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, defeating the Egyptians with the plagues and ultimately drowning the Pharaoh and his chariots in the Red Sea. And we don't know the exact occasion when the psalm was written, We don't know who wrote it, but it pictures for us a returning king. He's coming back from victory over the nations. And as he returns from battle, there's two voices we hear in the psalm. We hear the voice of the people welcoming the king back into the city as he's returning. And then we hear the voice of the king describing how God had given him victory. And so the psalm begins with these words from the people. They say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So the people of God are called to give thanks to the Lord. And I I may have mentioned this before, um, but but I mention it often because I think sometimes we forget. But every time we see that capital L-O-R-D in our Old Testament, underneath that is the covenant name of God. Yahweh. And so when the Jews translated the Bible into another language, they did not want, they so revered the name of Yahweh that they didn't want it used. And so they translated it using the word for Lord. And our English Bibles have kept that tradition. And so the psalmist is calling the people of God to give thanks to their God, the one who promised them that they would be his people, and he would be their God. And why should they give thanks? Because he's good. So no, no matter where we are on the spectrum of will suffer, our suffering, delivered from suffering, we can and should always give thanks to our God because he is good. And there are many examples and reasons We could list to prove his goodness to us, but the one the psalmist gives us is that his steadfast love endures forever. The word translated steadfast love here is a word that's very hard to translate. It's the Hebrew word chesed. 
And it's a word that describes God's special love for his people. It's the love that God has for those he's called and chosen for himself. It's a committed love. It's a covenant love. It's a love built on promises. And we can know that this kind of love from God belongs to us simply by believing the promises of God. We trust that all of his promises belong to me personally. And when that happens, we know that we are recipients of God's hesed. The New Living Translation calls this God's faithful love. The King James calls it his eternal mercy. And the ESV calls it his steadfast love. It's one of those words that's almost impossible to capture all that it means with one English word. And if we trust that God's promises belong to us, then this love is ours even when we're suffering. So the praise is repeated. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let all of God's people say aloud with their voices that the hesed of God endures forever. Israel is the covenant people of God, the nation of God. The house of Aaron are those who've been called out of Israel to lead God's people in worship. But notice everyone is included with the last phrase. Let all those who fear the Lord say his hesed endures forever. This would include for the Israels and the old Israelites in the Old Testament, it would include Gentiles. It would include slaves. As long as they fear the Lord, it doesn't matter. If you fear the Lord, then he is your God, and you belong to him, and his steadfast covenant love belongs to you. This is the way of deliverance. Knowing that God is good, that you belong to him, and that his steadfast love rests on you simply because you believe his promises. Next, the voice of the psalm changes into the first person. And this is likely now the voice of the king as he's approaching Jerusalem after God has delivered him from his enemies. And he says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. And so the king is victorious simply because he called on the Lord. And the Lord answered him by setting him free, literally put him on a wide road. And so freedom here is pictured as as space to roam. And since the Lord is on his side, there's no reason to be afraid. And then he asks a rhetorical question. What can man do to me? And all rhetorical questions are, are statements, phrase, in the form of a question. So what, what he's saying here is man can't do anything to me. There's nothing another human being can do to me. Now, is that true? (laughs) Because if you and I think about it, there's lots of things other human beings can do to us. But never without the will and the purpose 
of God. And the worst thing a man can do is kill us. And then the king calls God his helper. You see, God had given the king a task. God had called the king to lead God's people. And this is a task that would have been too much for any human being. And so God, in his grace, comes and helps him. And when he says he will look in triumph on those who hate him, he's not gloating. He's the king representing the people of God and those who hate him. As the king representing God's people are those who have openly challenged and mocked God. And so if the king did not triumph over them, then the name and the glory of God would be tarnished. And the king goes on. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So he was victorious because he put his hope and his trust in the Lord more than his army. <laughs> he didn't trust other nations to come along and help him. So where is our hope? It's our hope in the government. Is our hope in medicine? Is our hope in human justice and laws, the Constitution, even our family or our friends? Because all of that can and, and will at some point let us down. And even though those are good things and they are important, we are reminded that God is the one to whom we must look. He is where we find peace and safety. He is the one who will never fail us. Because even in our suffering, he is producing in us an eternal weight of glory, Paul says. Next, the king tells us why he was distressed and what God delivered him from. He says, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Notice the repetition, surrounded, surrounded, surrounded. They were like bees swarming around me. They were like a fire in thorns, right? Thorns are dry. If you, if you light them, the fire just spreads. But the king cut them off. And notice he did not cut them off for his own glory but for the glory in the name of the Lord. So how bad was it when the nations were surrounding him? Surrounding him, surrounding him. Well, he tells us, he says, I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. I can't think of a more vulnerable position to be in than falling. Right? What, what do you grab onto? How, how far am I going to fall? How, how awkward are you? You're defeated when you're falling. And yet the Lord helped him. Therefore, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Right? He was so weak and so vulnerable, he could not save himself. He's falling, 
Therefore, God gets all the credit, right? God is the one whose strength and whose power came and saved him. So the Lord is now his song, which means the Lord is who he sings about. And we sing about what we care about. The righteous are those who walk with the Lord by faith. They are the ones who also sing glad songs of salvation because the Lord is the hero of this story, not the king, which is why the Lord is the one who raises his hand in victory. And then the king concludes, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Now, this king, of course, did die, but he did not die in his battle against the nations. He lived to tell everything the Lord had done for him. And then it says he was disciplined. And yes, the Lord disciplines us, but not always necessarily because of sin. Sometimes he disciplines us to train us in righteousness so that we will trust him. And the king sees that God now has spared his life and grown his faith. Now, I can imagine to some here this morning, this sounds like a psalm for someone who has been delivered. Right? Of, of our three categories, the person singing this psalm is firmly planted in category number three. Right? He was in distress, but the Lord has delivered him. It's celebrating victory. How is this psalm for someone who's in the midst of suffering? And the answer is because this psalm shows us how to suffer. First, it reminds us that God is good and that his love endures forever. He will save us. Even when we're falling, even though it feels like we're surrounded by a swarm of bees spreading like wildfire, he will cut them off. So trust in him. Don't trust in other human beings. Don't trust in princes. Call on him. He is on your side. He will set you free. And if you trust in him, you will live and you will not die. This is the encouragement of this psalm for those in the midst of suffering right now. As Jesus said to Martha, while her brother was lying dead in the grave, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the question of this psalm. Do you believe this? Do you believe that when you call on him in your distress, even if you're falling, that he will answer you? That he will set you free? That he is on your side? that it's better to take refuge in him than to trust in princes because that is the way of deliverance. And if we believe that, it will produce worship in our hearts. In the Old Testament, salvation was the peace and prosperity of the nation of Israel. 
And anyone who challenged Israel and the God of Israel was an enemy of God and his people. And so individual, personal, eternal, spiritual salvation was bound up in the success of God's people as a whole. That was all true. But it was a model. It was a type. It's an example pointing forward to realities that get flushed out in the New Testament. Just like an architect makes a model of the building he is planning, God used Israel to model deeper spiritual realities. For example, the nation of Israel points forward to and is a picture of everyone who puts their faith in God. Everyone who trusts in Him becomes a citizen of His heavenly kingdom. The physical and national enemies of God's people are a model, they're an example, they're a type of the spiritual enemies of God's people behind it all. This is why in the New Testament, Paul says this, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. These are the real enemies. These are the enemies animating the physical and national enemies of God's people in the Old Testament. And these are the enemies we're fighting against directly as we experience the trials and the temptations and the sufferings and the hardships of life now. And so when we read this psalm, we have to keep in mind that our enemies are sin and Satan and the suffering that tempts us to believe that God is not good. And we have to keep in mind that Jesus is the king who conquered those enemies. As Paul tells us in Colossians, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. And he did that on the cross. And we share in his victory over sin and Satan and suffering by faith when we trust in Christ. We can call on him when we're in distress, when we're falling, when we're surrounded, and we can know that the victory is already ours because Jesus has conquered sin and death and Satan and our true enemies, so that everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. So no matter who we are, if we trust in Christ, we have been delivered. As New Testament Christians, we know the victory and the celebration and the worship it produces, right? The worship that this deliverance by Jesus produces, we know that it belongs to all of us because the ultimate victory belongs to the ultimate king who is Jesus. So with that in mind, that was a little bit of an aside, let's read the rest of the psalm. The psalm continues with the king calling the people to worship. He says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that I, that you have answered me and have become my salvation. So the gates of righteousness are the gates of the temple. And the temple is the place where God dwells. It's the place of his presence. It's the place of worship. So the king enters the city after the Lord has delivered him, and he calls everyone who is righteous or who puts their trust in the Lord to enter in and worship with him. 
And then after this moment, the king's voice fades and the voice of the people take over again. And they say, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. They're just acknowledging that the Lord takes the weak and the rejected things of this world and he uses them to build his kingdom. The people of Israel were weak and rejected in Egypt. The kings of Israel were weak and rejected by the other nations. And yet God built his kingdom through them. But the ultimate king, who seemed weak and was rejected, was King Jesus, who came to his people humble, the son of Mary, born a virgin in a manger. Then he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday wearing a cloak instead of armor, riding on a donkey instead of a horse. He had no form or majesty that we should look on him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Yet he became the cornerstone of the church, which is the people of God, which is the temple of God. And for those with eyes to see this, they see that this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes, which is why for a Christian, every day is the day the Lord has made. Therefore, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we can picture the people of Israel welcoming their king into the city, him leading them to the temple for worship, them responding in worship, rejoicing in the salvation God has provided through him. But then the people say this, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Which is kind of like, what's happening here? We've had this this procession into Jerusalem where the king is talking about all the wonderful things that God has done. He, He comes in and he says, let's go into the gates of the temple and worship. And the people are like, yes, you're so awesome, God. And then they say, save us. Wait a minute. (laughs) Didn't he just save them? How come all of a sudden the people are now praying for salvation and success? And the reason is because they know the victory that inspired Psalm 118 is only one victory. This deliverance God has granted their king is but a picture of the final deliverance that is coming. They know they've been saved from their enemies And their deliverance has turned into worship, but they also know a greater victory is needed, which takes us to Palm Sunday. And our final point this morning, the one who will save us. You see, Psalm 118 pictured the king of Israel celebrating God's deliverance from the nations. It was used to point back to God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt, but it also looked forward to a future victory. A complete victory. One day. Israel was looking forward to a time when the ultimate king, the Messiah, would come and save them fully and finally from the nations. So they pray, save us. Or literally, Hosanna. In Hebrew, Hoshana means save us. 
And that's what this psalm now looks forward to. It looks forward to a final salvation, an ultimate king who will come and save Israel. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. You see, this is who the people thought Jesus was on Palm Sunday. They thought he was the king that Psalm 118 was looking forward to, who would come one day and bring that final, ultimate salvation. That's why they welcomed him by singing, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They hoped he was the one bringing the full and final salvation of Israel. And guess what? They were right. They were right. But he wasn't bringing victory over physical and national enemies. He wasn't bringing the kind of salvation they thought he was. He was coming to deliver them from their real enemies, from sin and Satan. And he was coming to call not only Israel, but all the nations to himself for salvation. Jesus came to make a way for even Israel's physical and national enemies to become his people. He was coming to make great the name of the Lord by revealing God's love and mercy and justice in the way that only the cross can display. Verse 27 of Psalm 118 says, The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. And when the Israelites sang this, they were recognizing that the presence of the Messiah, their ultimate king, their ultimate deliverer, the one who was blessed because he came in the name of the Lord, that when he comes, it will result in worship. The Messiah's presence is evidence that God's light, his favor, his pleasure, his salvation belongs to his people forever. The Messiah then will lead this worship service up to the altar where they would bind the sacrifice to the horns of the altar. And the people of Israel were right. Jesus is that Messiah and he would do just that. But they did not know that the Messiah himself would be the sacrifice. That he would be bound by nails to that altar. And that the horns of the altar would be the Roman cross. And on the cross, the steadfast love of God truly becomes ours forever. On the cross, the king, the cornerstone the builders rejected, opened the gates of righteousness for sinners like you and me that we might come in so that we shall not die, but we shall live. And now there's nothing man can do to us except kill our bodies. On the cross, he is our strength and our song, and there he becomes our salvation. On the cross, we can take refuge in him, our sin on his shoulders and his righteousness clothed on us. On the cross, God answered our cries of distress. He came and was by our side. And he's setting us free. Therefore, whether we will suffer, whether we are suffering, 
whether we've been delivered from our suffering, we can all say with the psalmist, how he closes the psalm, You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. I will give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and recognize that this psalm points perfectly to King Jesus. The one who came and lived this life as a human being in our place, in perfect submission to the Father, trusting Him even to death on a cross, knowing that you would raise him again from the dead. Father, I pray that you would grant us this kind of faith, that we would call out to you in all of our distress, that we would look to you as our refuge over other human beings and princes. I pray, God, that you would grant us to behold our God. This Palm Sunday, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.